Welcome back to the IoT Podcast Guest Host Special. I, Chidam Shangur, and Seppi Takabe will take over the studio for an episode. In today's takeover, we will be taking the spotlight to discuss the impact of new technologies ranging from data science, AI, quantum computing, and more, and the opportunities they bring to us. This episode is specially sponsored by PixelChat, a multi-user platform that delivers instant, real-time translator communication via a range of dynamic products. Okay, let's get into the episode. A little bit information about me, my journey into technology. Um, I was born in Istanbul, Turkey, and my introduction to technology was probably with started with the Commodore 64 that my father brought home one day. Um, but I would not say I was immersed in the technology until I started my undergraduate program in control and computer engineering in Istanbul Technical University, where I developed a huge interest in uh, computer networks and security. Um, then I followed that interest with a Fulbright Fellowship to United States, and I got an MSc and a PhD in uh, computer science at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, where I worked on ad hoc networks um, and focused on routing and energy management solutions. And after my PhD, my career kind of followed an unconventional path, I believe, uh, and I worked in research labs, I held roles in industry and academia. Um, I worked on delay-tolerant networks at INRIA in France, I worked on mesh networks in Deutsche Telekom Labs, Germany, you can see a pattern with networks there. And in the UK, I worked at Oxford Brookes University and then Nominet UK, which runs the .uk domain, and now at Brunel University, focusing mostly on Internet of Things now. Currently, I'm a reader in computer science at Brunel, and I co-lead the computer science for social good research group. And I am also affiliated with the research center, AI centers, social and digital innovation. And I'm part of the Institute of Digital Futures as well. My work has now in IoT a deeper focus on usable security, privacy, and data protection with applications to healthcare. Um, so that's all about me. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background, Seppi? Um, thank you, uh, uh, Chitjum. Uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, well, actually, I um, I'm originally Iranian. I was born in Tehran, uh, but I was quite young with my family when we moved to the UK. I um, did my A levels and O levels and everything in the UK. Then I did a <clears throat> degree in electronic engineering. And uh, then I moved to do a PhD in experimental astrophysics. Uh, I did my PhD with the uh, Giotto mission, which went to Halley's Comet. And um, I created uh, the first image processing uh, techniques to extract uh, uh, things like the hidden jets in the nucleus of Comet Halley. Then I worked um, as a experimentalist, uh, instrumental astrophysicist at Imperial College. And then I moved to uh, Max Planck Institute in Heidelberg, where I worked on the <clears throat> analysis of the instrumentation of the interstellar dust. Then um, I was on various pro uh, postdoc positions. Then in the uh, year two, uh, 1991, I think I, I, I got a job for two years at uh, uh, University of Göttingen Observatory. I was working there as a software system engineer. 
Then um, at some stage, I got fed up working in astronomy. So I started looking for a job. And as it happened, uh, uh, I was recruited by um, GMD, which was uh, predecessors of Fraunhofer uh, Society. And uh, the first job I had was to build the first internet-wise satellite in Eastern Europe. So in countries like Romania, Bulgaria, Slovak Republic, Lithuania, and Russia, we built the first internet-wise satellites. So we literally went to these countries. That was in mid-90s. <clears throat> and um, then uh, when I built this, um, we were supposed to be uh, representing these technology. I didn't know what uh, what I should be, uh, how I should be representing internet. So because all our partners were academic institutions, I wrote the first virtual learning environment platform uh, with HTML myself in 1997 and used a streaming technology to show how it's possible to um, do uh, e-learning via satellite. And uh, uh, our partners were in Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, but then I, um, what we did was we connected uh, our network, satellite network, to ISDN, to America. So the company, there were some uh, universities in Pennsylvania who were doing the uh, business studies. So we, we actually did the first demos of how it's possible to use Internet uh, to, uh, to do teaching. Um, this was then I was, <clears throat> I did a lot of uh, stuff at Fraunhofer. I built the first uh, uh, virtual TV presenter on Avatar because we were working on the multimedia uh, home platform and interactive television. Then um, we did a lot of formats. Uh, last thing I did, I was in uh, Fraunhofer till nine, uh, 2007. The last thing I was uh, uh, when I was there, I was the architect of Citizen Media Project, which was, you know, I mean, all the data convergence stuff that you uh, now use. It was actually partly my brainchild. Then I moved to the UK back uh, because of family reasons. And I was a senior lecturer at University of Hertfordshire uh, teaching digital technology and biometrics. Then in 2013, I went to University of Southampton. I worked there <clears throat> uh, at the Web Science Institute. And in 2014, 2015, I set up the first online data science academy in the UK. And 2017, I handed over, I did a part-time uh, uh, teaching, uh, setting up the first data science courses at University of Oxford open access and uh, sort of lifelong learning based on what I created at Southampton. And uh, that's where I'm now. I'm a de departmental lecturer and course director I teach data science, software engineering, AI. I'm doing a little bit of com quantum computing. And then at the same time, I set up my own technology, um, PixelR, PixelChat, which I can talk about it. That's me in a Brief. Thank you so much. This is so inspiring. You've been immersed in so many different technologies and we're the first in a number of them. So this is amazing to hear. Um, so having seen so many technologies take shape and form, what are the most exciting and innovative uses of recent technologies you <coughs> see in terms of things or artificial intelligence that you've seen recently? Well, I mean, 
I, this is really an interesting question. Uh, question. I think, as far as I can see, these are. Uh, I mean, what what I've got to tell you is, I'm I'm sure you are mo much more aware of that. As um, as human beings, uh, we've been living in an analog world for the last forty to sixty thousand years, and then because of the inventions which have been happening primarily in the last hundred years, but especially in the last twenty years. Um, we have completely uh, moved from the digital, uh, from the um, sort of like a analog domain into a digital domain. I mean, just think about it. Just think about it that if you had the um, pandemic 20 years ago, not only half the world population would have um, uh, died, we also would not have the opportunity to do things which we have done, like working from home, you know, doing studying, stuff like that. These all happened because of the technologies which is created in the last 20 years. <clears throat> it's funny because when I was teaching uh, data science prior to the pandemic to my students, I was trying to sort of give them the perception, what is data, what is digital universe, what is... So I think to answer your question, it's really, there is nothing uh, unique about the technology. It's about building this universe. And as engineers, I mean, as human beings, we were creating all these tools and machines to uh, help us to do a task. Uh, but till recently, we've been doing building sort of real physical uh, um, uh, machinery, real physical tools to help us to improve the quality of life. Now that we have discovered this other universe and the interaction between the two, it's a huge amount. So, I mean, the technologies of AI or IoT or quantum computing, these are effectively some of the enabling technologies. There isn't anything, um, I think, uh, um, as an individual technology, this is my, my perception, I don't think that any of them are carrying anything specific. I mean, they are part of a evolution because... Um, what happened was, uh, uh, let's say, when I was doing my PhD, for example, I discovered this jets, but I had to sort of sit down and do the um, write an algorithm and <clears throat> uh, write a filter, process these images through these filters, run them 40 times. This was my own intuition um, that I did it. But now you have got things like probably it's the same sort of process, but you call it neural network. Uh, what I'm saying is it, these are just the evolution. And the reason that we can actually access and create all these technologies is because, because of several things. First of all, um, it's because <clears throat> the data is, is so accessible. We've got the uh, big data. Um, and then we have got the possibility of things like a very, very cheap uh, computation through cloud computing or um, edge computing and uh, then is is also the the communities have been built so people are sharing their own ideas i mean like uh, i remember when i was working in fraunhof where we built the uh, my institute built the first uh, virtual studio applications and i remember uh, uh, sort of like they were doing some work for uh, things like uh, jurassic parks at the time and uh, uh, this was like mid-90s, I would say. And for each of the um, servers that they were doing processing, they, they were about $8 million, something like that, to do the image processing. Now you can do that in your mobile. 
I mean, this is because it is it's the democracy, is the uh, access to this technology, is is the inclusivity, and that is what is important. And I think I don't particularly like the um, the the perception that some people are trying to really uh, mystify these technology as something. This is really an enabling technology, something we have to use. <clears throat> Sometimes I personally think that. Uh, we have to be able to walk before we run. So the provision of some of the technologies that has been given to the public, it completely distracts the uh, the uh, natural evolution of the um, uh, the technology where the humanity is going to use it. So I'm much more uh, I'm much more realistic and I'm much more practical when come uh, it for me they are just tools they are just enabling technologies and um, the bits of things that are coming there are components that if somebody has got an insight how they can use them does that answer your question it's a long winded one yeah I completely agree I see them as building blocks as well and as we advance in computational technologies as well as communication technologies data collection becomes much more integrated and distributed and with the I would say more access to data, you get to operate these technologies in big data and a lot of, a number of things became possible within machine learning and artificial intelligence. So definitely they, I consider them as building as blocks as well. I am also inspired more about the use of technology as a tool, um, mostly with cross-disciplinary work inspires me a lot, where I feel like the technology has a great potential to improve. Um, and that's why I'm much more interested in healthcare applications uh, recently, because I feel like um, these technologies can help from diagnosis to clinical care to disease management, as we've seen in COVID, for instance, huge response um, with the technology as well as our lives. We could, we could, you know, follow up on our lives with the enablement of technology, be able to keep in touch with our loved ones, continue education, access to remote healthcare. So how do we manage our well-being and care at home uh, with access to technology? So that really, really inspires me. Um, and we will see more and more innovative use cases. I also like simple technologies, like things that solve one thing and not try to be the world. I was recently reading about um, a company that does Metalert, I believe, a GPS tracker hidden in the shoe soles just to detect when an Alzheimer's patient, for instance, wanders off and may need help. And I feel like this is one great example of a simple technology that doesn't try to be lots of things, but only one thing. And it can transform that the lives of a patient as well as its carers when it's most needed, that help is most needed. So, um, so I think, of course, it's just a great example of how also we need to consider side effects of technology, for instance, in, you know, in terms of privacy and et cetera, when we consider, you know, how it becomes integrated into our lives and embedded into social systems like healthcare. So that leads to be a little bit to my next question about how you feel technology, be it Internet of Things, be it AI, be it other technologies, transform how we live and how we work, and what new opportunities do you feel uh, it creates for us? Uh, that is, again, a very good question. I think it goes back to the uh, basics of what, uh, I mean, in my perception, uh, the digital world is based on, I mean, the building block is data. 
So you first have the data, then you mm. process it, make it an information, then you make a knowledge. And then I would always say that intelligence is very contextual. So <laughs> what do I mean by that? I mean, the process of making data to, uh, to a knowledge is a generic process. So it doesn't matter what sort of scenario you've got, you still have to do the same data wrangling, cleaning, do this and that. But you only understand the data if you have got some sort of a minimum background about it. Let's say if somebody speaks to me Swahili, I wouldn't understand what they're talking about unless I know at least two, uh, 20, 30 words. And it and just happens that I might hear that and then I could make an understanding that they, they are talking about certain subject. So this is, again, about intelligence. I mean, the intelligence is only um, um, applicable if you have got the uh, the right uh, domain knowledge and that is what the machines do these things like uh, machine learning because they try to get, do the basic uh, um, work of the uh, of the whole thing but when it comes to the uh, significance of the data literally uh, <clears throat> what is happening is that nothing in this world is free and uh, I mean I have been a data science literally since I've been an astro astrophysicist, because if you are an astrophysicist and you work on the uh, perceptions of the worlds that you cannot reach, you have to have a means to uh, to actually simulate that, interpret that, look at the uh, the data, make analysis. So somebody said to me that the best data scientists, uh, with all due respects, are the astrophysicists. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I want to say is that. Uh, so when you look at the tech companies, I mean, this thing uh, that has been always obvious to me because I've been working in this field for the last 30 odd years, but nothing is free. So effectively, if, if a tech company offers you a free service, uh, what they have done, uh, they have um, long before anybody else, they recognize that the value of the data is far more important because what you do is you get targeted advertising, you you get certain type of preferences. I'm not going to go through that. Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a sort of a long established business. I mean, like 15 years ago, I, I came across companies that they were already doing uh, uh, things like auctioning uh, 15 years ago. Uh, there were all, already systems built into social media that they would provide that type of targeting or even things like emails and stuff like that. But uh, the point is that nothing is uh, free in this world. So people didn't realize that when they were using a, an um, sort of like uh, an app, which they can go and sign up, they were actually paying it through their personal data. And, and to be honest, they didn't realize the potential of this uh, personal data because most people, they were completely unaware of the digital universe. So this is really a, <clears throat> now is the question of the data privacy. I think, unfortunately, I would say, with the, especially with the emergence of a number of the recent technologies come up, I think they will fundamentally built on all our personal data. And uh, I think we've, um, we missed the boat. Well, what we have to do is, I mean, the data is there. I, I, my personal um, understanding is that our digital um, profile is far more accurate 
in terms of what what the real uh, uh, presentation of us in this world is because <clears throat> every single transaction we do every telephone call we do everything we are, it just forms our profile act more and more accurate and uh, i think it's uh, it's everything is out there so but what happens is now coming back and trying to see something that they've already got the uh, the authority and the uh, the ownership and the they have already built complete infrastructures that they can ex uh, extract appropriate business models of the data uh, is already done. Now, what I think it is important, I think it is important to educate to educate the powers to be, to inform them that for when they are making decisions, they're not making decisions based on the concepts which were 10 years ago. And the, uh, you know, even if they come with some sort of a policy or something like that, it's not going to be relevant because already, let's say, if you have got certain type of application, I'm not going to talk about it, but this, this is clearly based on all the information that companies gathered over years, and then they come with a new predictive, new new type of technology. So I think I think uh, the most important thing about data privacy is that you really try to educate the powers to be, and they and then they would come. Unfortunately, with all the regulations in the technologies, that they are on average ten years behind. 10 years behind of the standard. I mean, um, now obviously you've got something like ChatGPT and everybody talks about it. So uh, it is It is for most people, it's, a, it's just a tangled uh, uh, piece of uh, wiring and, you know, it can be anything to everybody, uh, to any, every, anybody. But nevertheless, what is important is, is, is to educate people on the status quo of the technology and give them the uh, the ability to make the right decisions and this is not the decision about the individuals but i think it's the policy makers it's the people who are making sort of like certain decisions for the for the country they are the ones that they have to have the right education in order to do that because um, if if they're not really quite aware of it we are losing a lot of uh, opportunities that uh, could could just turn the other way around. Does that answer your question? Agree. Yeah, I completely agree. This is uh, this is an area that I was passionate about as well. This we've ran a project called Three D, uh, which looked into rethinking interfaces into you know, IoT interfaces into smart homes with the idea of making, um, bringing interdisciplinary researchers to discuss how to make things more transparent, uh, more obvious to the end user, in depending on the smart home context. This could be home security, this could be appliances, this could be healthcare, this could be smart toys, right? They're entering all aspects of our lives and they're transforming our lives as well. And some technologies are adopted faster than the others, like smart speakers or the, you know, the ring system with the Amazon ring and home security devices and etc. Um, or, you know, like uh, the uh, heating systems, heating control systems and etc. And some of them are entering more slowly, but they are, they are slowly coming into every aspect of our life. And the idea of choice is not there. So when we were talking with researchers who would be expecting to be much more privacy aware and privacy conscious, there is even there a uh, 
kind of acceptance that this is the lost cause, that they don't have a choice and probably, they, you know, that they missed the boat on that. Um, and then we need to more and more think towards, yes, people do care about privacy, people do care about data protection, they would like to have a choice and they would like to be able to exercise that choice. And not every device needs to be networked and, you know, uh, emitting data at all times. We would have to have some control over that. So all of those things are slowly, I think, coming in, but again, it's in a much more slower pace than the innovations in technology. We, you know, we see, we see technology growing in a super fast pace, adopted very prematurely sometimes, and then we see the side effects. And then we start thinking, ooh, how what we could be done to avoid those side effects, right? Um, so it's 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 definitely an interesting period to live. Uh, we are going through towards transformative change. There are lots of opportunities, but I also think that there is also, um, we should not just be carried away with the speed of things, but have time to think about the utilization of technology. Um, I, I know, you know, there are so many exciting things happening, like 3D printables, wearables, being able to customize devices according to person's needs, facilitating AI, human collaboration, um, especially, you know, with, again, healthcare or other industries. Um, so, so many things are happening, but at the same time, I think we need to have a thinking cap on and see about how these technologies affect lives. Actually, we will be running a uh, Hacking the Digital Health event at Brunel in May, where this is the questions we're posing, right? Um, taking the idea of interdisciplinary co-creation of digital health solutions, we would ask, you know, we will challenge people to think about um, how to make more careful use of data in smart homes, uh, reduce differences among social classes in terms of accessing digital health technologies, improving access to digital solutions, especially in older age groups. Who are we excluding from this digital world? How do we eliminate bare barriers to digital technologies um, for disabled or differently abled people, right? So how do we, and, and I think there is a lot of opportunities in terms of more inclusive solutions we just need to advocate more for them and not be just um i think uh taken away by or taken up with the shiny tech new technology but how it is going to be integrated into our lives there's much more thinking to be done there and uh, that's what i believe absolutely couldn't couldn't you uh, agree more <laughs> I mean, um, there are good, you know, uh, uh, I, I also have inspired by good steps uh, taken by some of the organizations like microbit.org, which distributes these um, microbits, the small uh, devices um, uh, for physical computing and communication devices to teach younger children, uh, you know, computational thinking with a very physical computing object. Um, I'm inspired by them because they set this global challenges around UN Sustainable Development Goals, and they already embed that thinking into the young generations, into future engineers about creating technologies that have social impact, right? So um, I think that kind of training, you mentioned training a lot. I think that kind of training education needs to be embedded very early on into our thinking so that we we um, we create socially responsible projects, basically. Quick word from our sponsor, Pixel Chat. 
Pixel Chat is a multi-user platform that delivers instant, real-time translated communication via a range of dynamic products. This unique, groundbreaking technology means that you do not have to know someone's language in order to communicate with them in real time. Pixel Chat opens doors to greater understanding and limitless new possibilities. Whether you want to translate text-to-text, voice-to-text, or voice-to-voice, Pixel Chat offers instant translated communications. To learn how you can use the Pixel Chat services for your emails, conferences, or podcasts, and much more, head over to www.pixelchat.online. Work on socially responsible technology. And I think that kind of leads to the next question very well, the ethical considerations that we need to be aware of when we are using IoT or AI technology, and how can we ensure these technologies be used responsibly? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think uh, effectively uh, there are two. There are two. Uh, I think there are two ways to approach it. One is obviously we discussed that the education. I yeah. think the power to be, they have to understand not things within the short term. Well, what is it we're going to be? Uh, what sort of world we're going to have in fifty years' time? And uh, I mean, it's probably hundred years ago was difficult to project that, but now. Uh, with the um, current uh, technologies that we have got, the visions and everything, it is not as difficult as to predict what is it that we could have in 50 years' time. So um, I think that is the case. And based on that, then you have to come back to the drawing board. And there is, for any action, there is a a counteraction. So um, you you think about, um, I mean, Let's say let's take a uh, example of um, social media. Let's let's look at all these um, ideas that you know people at schools you know they get this bullying, this sort of messaging, things like that. Okay, what do we do? We, this this creates a huge discomfort. Is is huge huge impact, negative impact. A lot of youngsters they go into depression. They, I mean, we don't want to go to that sort of level, but it is just by taking one aspect of this digital technology, social media, it could do a lot of damage to our society. It doesn't matter where where you are. I mean, it is global impact of it. And and I think um, what would you do is you look at the counter effect of that. So I think it's about creating tools which counter effect that. And um, and actually, it's not very complicated. Because the way that you engineer these uh, social media, you can also engineer tools which would flag these things out very early on. But you're not in, you need to actually implement that. So I think it has to be a lot of resources available to do the engineering of these social negative impacts of the uh, tools and uh, technology that exist. And that is the work we have to do. Uh, so, um, I mean, I remember uh, something like uh, already as, uh, I don't know, maybe it was about 12 years ago, I was trying to work with a student, uh, which my idea was to actually try to flag out these um, uh sort of like messaging that was bullying and stuff like that i mean it's all metadata isn't it i mean it's not really a rocket science but somebody has to be sitting there somebody has to be dedicated create these tools and it has to be available it has to be part of the services that 
uh, companies, social media are offering. And uh, they just don't want to maybe do it because it's easier to uh, to just roll on an existing business and stuff like that. But we have to be socially responsible. Everybody has to be. Because for one child or for one individual to be deprived and use this tool. I mean, if you think about it, this can be like a, like a weapon. And it destroys somebody's life, somebody's mora- morality. So, I mean, that that cannot be acceptable. And I think the same sort of resources should be dedicated to create these tools which interacts negative impact of the social uh, media or technology. That I think we have to realize. This shouldn't be about just talking about it. It's the education. And then it's provision of real tangible tools and products which counteract that. That's my uh, opinion. I don't know. I do. I do believe so as well. I think well, there is the concept of privacy by design or security by design um, as uh, opposed to having these things take the backseat for a long time and uh, prioritizing technology building first. I think you cannot afford to do that anymore. As I said, as the technology becomes more and more embedded into our daily lives, you just cannot afford to do that. I mean, the pre- the I think the former visions of IoT where devices will be quietly integrated and embedded into our background without us noticing it is a scary vision. We have to notice them. Um, and this is some of the things that we were discussing in our 3D project where we talked about polite machines, which kind of introduce themselves when a new person comes in and says, hey, by the way, I'm recording this area, you know, or um, a number of people in our uh, workshops talked about Amish uh, uh, approach to adopting technology, maybe creating communities uh, as well, where as a community, we decide how far we want to adopt a technology because a single person's adoption of a tech can affect other people in the vicinity, in their neighborhood as well. So um, we, we are discussing these things more and more. It has to be becoming, it has to be more mainstream. I think that's that's the thing. Not only people who are considered or labeled as privacy aware or privacy conscious, but mainstream, we have to understand that this is an important thing to focus on creating technologies. And we see examples of things going wrong all the time, like biases in the in the data affecting machine learning AI, uh, leading to wrong predictions, affecting accuracy of predictions for a certain segment of people, um, misdiagnosing, you know, um, or chatbots has hallucinating or becoming antisocial quite fast, right? So we see lots and lots of bad examples of, you know, how things could go wrong very fast. So that awareness needs to needs to be there now. We should be building that awareness and be prepared to do something for it. Um, any technology that builds on human data, and I think this is any technology that we're talking about now, be it Internet of Things, be it AI, be it, you know, chat GPT, it needs to be careful about how the data is collected, what is it, what purpose it is used for, how it's shared, how it's retained, how it's deleted, right? So, um, and we need to create those trustworthy systems. You were going to say something. No, I was going to say that um, most of these technologies already been built on the existing data that they have harnessed anyway. So the models that they use, as I said, that uh, that boat um, um, has has gone. Uh, so uh, what is important, however, is to uh, 
to look at this from the engineering perspective, because at the end of the day, there are algorithms. And these algorithms, if, if they're not uh, done properly, or if they're trying to do, um, as you say, I mean, like these shoes, I think I find it absolutely fascinating. You know, you have to do one thing at a time because the technology of AI is not that advanced. I mean, we're still on a very narrow, I mean, it does one thing at a time. So if, if you are trying to sort of cascade various different uh, processes working at the same time in unison, it's very, very difficult to actually engineering, and it's on the cost of the errors, on the cost of giving you wrong predictions, wrong results. So I think at the end of the day, it goes back to the people who are creating these things, and they have to mm. be more responsible. And I think we have to also start thinking at the uh, adopting certain um, uh, formats, certain standards. And this has to go through the future of any product which comes. And it has to it has to have all these checks and balances before we offer them to the users. Because uh, uh, I mean, you if you if you build a car, if you build a car, you make sure that everything, all the safety is there. This is exactly the same with the digital product. You have to make sure that you, as, a, as somebody who's creating these things, have got the responsibility, the social responsibility. You have to take um, you have to take responsibility if something goes wrong. What if the um, the uh, I don't know the brake doesn't work? Unfortunately, there's an accident. Who's going to take care of that? This is the sort of thing that we are completely oblivious about it. And I think this has to go through the new regulations and the uh, standardizations, formats. And currently, um, digital domain is just like the Wild West. Everybody comes with something and they don't really think about it. I mean, it has to be structure, structurized. It has to be well thought of. And it has to be frameworks that has to be in the place. And, I, and I'm actually very happy that there are now sort uh, um, of organizations and people are coming, starting the debate. But it has to really be um, well-defined. Until we do not do that, then we would keep generating these tools which go into this uh, digital universe and then might have maybe 30% of quick return. But then the social impact of it on a global scale, it can be a disaster and we have to think about it. Mm -hmm. I think absolutely. Um, there are there are steps, but I do also feel that these steps are slower compared to the pace of technology. Um, for instance, general data protection regulation, I think, had a huge role on embedding a little bit of thinking, uh, building devices for purpose, regulating the data collection, a little bit making it more mainstream in terms of rights, citizens' rights on their own data. Um, and now with the AI regulation, we see more attempts on, you know, you know, regulating that space. We will see how effective that is. Uh, we see also reactions from country level, like Italy's reaction to ChatGPT, etc., and um, you know their response and other uh, agents uh, saying that we should be how careful we should be in, a, you know, considering these technologies and etc. So we do we we are taking steps, I think, but. Uh, albeit a bit more slowly compared to the pace of technology. And sometimes the cat is out of the, ba <laughs> the bag, basically, when, when these things are introduced. Um, okay, so we've talked about the pace of technology a lot. How could 
businesses, organizations prepare for the future uh, when you consider the pace of technology, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence technologies, um, and what steps could they take to ensure that they can take advantage of new opportunities and be prepared for this type of future? I mean, again, that's a very good question. I think, um, I mean, I talked about uh, powers to be, but I think we also have to go back. And if you are trying to introduce these um, digital technologies early age to the um, to the uh, young children or you know young adults, I think we have to have the awareness, give them the awareness of the boundaries as well while we are introducing them to this. And uh, I mean, only in the last five or six years, people start getting the awareness about the data privacy and things like that. Whereas long before, all these tech companies were just harnessing the data, they were using it. It was just like a wild west, as I said. I think <clears throat> now there has been a bit of an awareness, but it is, you know, people are sometimes get very um, to the extreme about it. And then I guess it's a bit like... Uh, uh, I don't know, financial uh, advisors law that they always find another way that you can. So I, I don't want it like that. I, I think it has to be black and white. It can't be shade of gray because as you elongate the shades of gray, there's always uh, room for mistake. I would say it has to be uh, as part of any type of education, all these um, ethics, all these boundaries, all these impacts has to be thought uh, from the beginning and uh, you can't have one without the other and I think it is the responsibility that goes to the individual as well as it goes to the society as well as goes to the big country and uh, I mean this is a unique opportunity for our generation to be able to harness this the emergence of this digital universe you know this is a huge opportunity but well, we have to do it in the right way. We have to make it based on knowledge, based on correct judgment, based on fairness, based on, on the right global impact. And I think that is really the way forward. And you cannot be really uh, too uh, softly, softly about it. I think, I think we should go back to our um, educational um, uh, teaching books. Uh, we have to teach the teachers, we have to teach the lecturers, we have to, we have to have a really proactive um, uh, sort of uh, process and then go back and then reinvent ourselves. Because if we do not do, do that, we are not capable of taking the advantage of this uh, opportunity. And I really, really very passionate about it. And I'm, as I said, there is no shades of gray. It has to be black and white. You have to actually educate people properly about it. It's great to find another person as passionate. <laughs> I mean, this is music to my ears because this is how I feel as well. Um, having worked in the industry as, you know, first in innovation lab in Deutsche Telekom and then in an innovation research group in, in a smaller company, I feel, um, we discussed this before as well, the technology is just a tool and adoption of a new technology, you know, how uh, businesses and organizations prepare for it 
to me, um, they have to embrace systems thinking and consider all the issues that you mentioned. Um, it is beyond technology, really. It's about how the organization embraces change um, and how it manages that change. Um, and uh, I feel like each business needs to analyze how the technology affects them. Are they disrupted in any way, for instance? And how would they how, how would they counter that disruption? Or any other services or products in, enhanced by the new technologies? Do their customers want that enhancement? Sometimes that innovation is not necessary. We shouldn't do innovation for innovation's sake, right? We should do innovation because there is a need for it in our companies. And, and trying to innovate just because it's cool is, doesn't take you very far and it's not sustainable either. Um, so I think, I think you need to invest in it. You know, need to build capacity if you're interested in building that technology. You have to be patient, you have to be ready to give time and budget and support and support at every level um, from the engineer who's kind of needs to train retrain to the person who manages them to the C level to the board level right it has to be championed that whatever new technology you're introducing to an organization um, and you, you know if you go I'm going to go back and forth and be undecided about it that's when those things don't take root they just they just get forgotten or disappear very fast. Uh, whereas when there is a clear dedication, clear commitment, then technology is taken on board and you can see how it changes every aspect of the business, right? It has to be really adopted at all levels. Um, and I think that's one of the key things, um, not following a technology because it is the next coolest thing to do, but following technology because it does add or bring real value to your to your organization or to your business, um, and that's what I learned being an innovator. You know, doing that work as part of an innovation team, where your uh, one of your job roles is to innovate. But then I would say, always err on the side of caution. You know, innovate responsibly and as needed, <laughs> basically. Um, Okay, so this we've been talking a lot about this, but maybe our final kind of discussion could go around this as well. What impact do you think IoT AI technology will have on society as a whole in the years to come? And how can we make sure that this impact is positive? Okay, I mean, the, this is, uh, uh, I think it's a very, very important, uh, very sort of vast, broad subject. And... Um, uh, what I what I think I would do is I would just talk about my own technology and I, I tell you what is my interpretation of this and why I have done that, because effectively that is really partly answers uh, my motivation. Um, I have created the next uh, uh, generation of data communication platforms. What do I mean by that? You see, for example, you've got now WhatsApp and you can you can talk to anybody uh, across the world. Well, what I have done is I have created the next generation of this uh, that you can speak with anybody in their own language. So you can you can have a conversation, a seamless conversation uh, with one or many people in over 100 languages. So what is, yeah, I mean, what is uh, what is the what is the motivation behind that is because so you get the uh, I mean, just very briefly, <clears throat> we our representation in the digital world is what we call as a social machine. 
I mean, this social machine can be just one piece of uh, one page of uh, I don't know, Facebook, which is our representation. When all these social machines get connected, then we have social media. And this is really what happens. But the true social media currently, it means that if you want to communicate with someone, we, we have got just one common language. Or if you go back, the telephones, for example, when you were trying to communicate the first invention of the telephone, uh, yeah, you know, from Graham Bell to now, uh, with the phones that you have got, is if you are sitting in, in the UK and you want to talk to someone in Tokyo, you either have to speak in uh, English or Japanese or Turkish or Persian. You have to have one common language. If you speak two different languages, you can't do that. Take that and expand that on the social media aspect. And that is exactly the problem. So this is the problem I have solved. And the reason for that is because you only can truly harness the advantage of the digital universe if you can communicate, express your own ideas in your own language. And that is that is the impact. Uh, I think the the language barrier through the communication through social media is something that is absolutely fundamental. And uh, uh, and this is really taking it a step further. If you come to IoT devices, if you come to uh, future um, metaverse or something like that. It's everything becomes completely personalized if you can express it in your own language, in your own culture. If you if you try to copy it from somebody else, it doesn't quite work out. I mean, I I was born in Iran. I grew up in the U, uh, in the UK. I was a German civil servant. I'm a sort of like a triple uh, 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 speaking three languages, but I still sometimes in certain things I I only think in one language. And it goes back to the fundamentals because I was born in that country and that language. And there is some common cultures that if I want to express it, it's just uh, very difficult if you are not really mastering a particular language. So for for real digital democracy, for real um, share of equal share of pie for everyone, that is that has been my contribution. This talks to me at so many levels. Uh, it's my personal experience having lived in various different countries, France, Germany, UK, US, having been embedded in different social cultures. And sometimes even if the language is the same, the British English and what, you know, US English and what certain words are used for what and what expressions are used for what is completely changing. And you have to even have translation between the same language. This talks to me a lot. Um, and I think this is a wonderful invention um, to be able to unite people across uh, a single platform without being, uh, you know, affected by the barrier of language, basically. Uh, so this is this is great. Um, and these type of technologies are going to be even more important with, you know, COVID. We've gone to a digital communication world very, very, very fast. And you can imagine how this is going to be so much more impactful as we continue to embrace this for educational purposes as well as other business purposes. So this is this is great invention. I mean, I worked on this for the last six and a half, six years. 
I start working. And in fact, <clears throat> the first versions of it we had uh, we put out uh, for uh, digital uh, uh, catapult 5G network was already in March 2020 before the pandemic. And then <clears throat> Pixel Chat became um, sort of um, we started having the first tests. Uh, with people sitting in the UK and Singapore having a seamless conversation. Because, I mean, one thing about 5G or 6G is, um, is obviously uh, why you you have got these sort of like the uh, uh, the latencies disappears because of the fast bandwidth you have got. But there's a lot is to do with uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, streaming or these headsets and stuff. And actually, in reality, that's a bit of a whitewash because... If you're if you're watching a movie on your handset on your 5G handset, the whole infrastructure of the uh, the design is that you always have to buffer the system because of the compression. But the true the true seamlessness comes when you have got a conversation with somebody across the world, because you are expecting that this person respond back to you without any um, delay, and that is why. Pixel chat is just perfect for the future networks uh, of communication. And it's going to take off in the sense that, uh, I mean, we already have got customers and we already are testing it with telecom companies. But this is really going to be the future. And the, the idea is that once you have got this uh, uh, relatively cheap uh, 5G handsets, which are coming into the market and everything, uh, Pixel chat is going to be their embedded uh, communication platform. So you can not only speak to your everybody in your own language, you can speak in their own language as well. And uh, this, is, uh, this, is, um, this is the next generation of data voice communication. And that is, I mean, I've been working on it for six years. It had nothing to do with COVID. But obviously with COVID, that uh, the need for technologies of remote uh, communication and telecommunication became far more um, tangible and uh, uh, essential, let's put it this way. And uh, in a recent project we've been running called SMILE, which was looking into monitoring infants uh, for health monitoring in Sierra Leone, we, we did uh, run a kind of a user study uh, with our stakeholders and it, uh, with our home carers, parents, as well as um, medical staff. And it became so obvious in, the, in that context that language barrier is one of the barriers that we needed to think about. Um, not only we've We've kind of, this is the part where I kind of find innovation very important that kind of consults with the stakeholders first, because we entered the area project with the whole idea of creating this maybe wearable to be able to monitor some, some symptoms and etc. But then the whole project took a different turn when you talk to the stakeholders and they say that, well, our barriers are actually, we can, you know, the carers and the parents talk different languages and sometimes they don't understand each other and the literacy levels are different. Sometimes they, you you know, what they mean does not necessarily, you know, are understood by the carer, for instance. And you can see within the same country where there are language differences in a healthcare setting, you see how it affects um, communication. And this is not only for remote communication, maybe in-place communication, those kind of facilitators would be really, really helpful as well. So uh, there is great potential for, and this is, this, the question was about, positive impact to society. And I think we are concluding with a 
brilliant positive example uh, with your invention. So with that, I'll slowly wrap up. Um, we really enjoyed our time uh, on the guest host takeover. So just a few comments. For more information, you can find me in LinkedIn, Chidam Sengal, or Dr. Ch at Dr. Chidam Sengal at Twitter. Uh, a plug-in, uh, we're going to be running a uh, Hacking the Digital Health event at Brunel in May. Uh, you can find that information in social media. Please come join us and let's create technology with positive social impact. And Seppi, where does uh, our audience find you? Where can they find you? I mean, they can also uh, find me on LinkedIn and, um, and also my profile is at the University of Oxford. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I would be happy to hear from uh, people and if they are interested for discourse or discussions, uh, I would be very happy to participate. Thank you so much for your time, Chikdem. It was really, really a pleasure meeting you. And, it was uh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed our discussion. <laughs> thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope that we can start some sort of more inter closer interaction in this area in, in the near future. That will be my wish as well. That, that's great. Thank you to Pixel Chat for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to check out www.pixelchat.online to get started today. The possibilities are limitless. Thanks for tuning in to the IoT podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're on. See you next week for more IoT talks and tales.